Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. There we go. We're awake. Welcome to Church in the Valley. Uh, we are really glad that you're all here uh, to worship with us, like John mentioned earlier. And we are continuing our message series called Functional Team. And if you look at the front of your program and at the, uh, the slide here, you'll see that the DYS is crossed out. And the idea is, over the course of this series, we want to paint a picture of what it actually means to be a group, a church, that actually is functional opposed to being dysfunctional. And we all have kind of experience with things that are dysfunctional. They're designed to do one thing, but it doesn't quite work right. And that's the case with many of us. We're designed to do things in our life, uh, from relating to people, to doing projects, to all the different responsibilities we have. And there's kind of a sense of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. And then there's the reality of what, what actually happens and how it gets done. And I know for myself, uh, there's an element of which dysfunction can exist in a lot of my life. And it's frustrating and it tends to kind of distract us from really what's important. And so this series is designed to give you a sense of what makes us a church and what are the things that are important to us. And it's a behind the scenes look at the things that we really value as a group. Uh, These are things that we value as individuals and these are things that we want to work together on as we kind of push the mission forward that God has given us. And speaking of the mission, that's how we launched last week. As we're talking about the team and what God wants us to do, it really does begin with the mission. That is, where are we headed? What's our goal? What's kind of the North Star that that guides us? And our mission at Church in the Valley that's found in the scriptures is really summed up in kind of two simple phrases. It's to love God and to love people. And when we love God with everything in us, and when we give our lives over to him and allow him to lead us, it actually allows us to accomplish the second part of our mission, which is to love people. And both of those, loving God and loving people, are connected from this idea of of love. It's really a sense of how does love exist in our relationships? How does love exist in our church? And what does that look like practically? But it begins not just focusing on the relationships, but it actually begins with Where are we headed? What we're about? We want to kind of have the destination in mind because that's the thing that keeps us knowing, okay, we are on the right track as a church. And so our mission is to really live a life in a way that shows that we love God and to live life in a way that shows that we love people. And that involves uh, sharing the difference that Jesus makes in our life with others. Uh, That involves serving people. That involves really going out of our way to let them know that following Jesus Christ is the best decision that anyone could ever make. And that's really why we are here. We want to kind of share the good news of following Jesus Christ, how it's the best decision that leads to the best kind of life. And so we talked about that a little bit last week. Today, we're going to still be talking about the mission, but not just what we're going after, but really how do we do it? It's really how do we relate to each other. So we're going to kind of unpack a little bit more of the loving people. And the idea is really how how are we a community? And what you find as you look at the scriptures, there is a high emphasis on the community, a group of people working together. But it's not just to hang out, share stories. There's actually a community that God's put together that has a mission. And that's how God has wired us. We are community with a mission. We're heading in a certain direction. Now, the opposite to community is individualism, right? It's the idea that it's me on my own trying to live my life my way. 
and I want to do it my way, on my terms, with my own agenda, with my own goals. And people can come alongside me, but what trumps everything is me and what I want. Now, if you want a summary of like individualism at its best, go on an airplane. I just flew home last night from Texas and I was on an airplane and never in my life can you see in like a Petri dish of experience people who are just trying to figure out how to do things their own way. You know, like now when luggages you have to pay and airlines, you, you can't check bags anymore without paying. And so everyone's carrying on. And it's really an interesting experiment because there's like 3000 bags to carry on in 300 spaces in a plane. And you kind of have this like, OK, what what are the groups? If I'm group one, I'm going to be the first in line in group one. And if I'm in group three, I'm going to be the first in line in group three. And there's a sense in which everyone wants to get on first in the plane because my luggage has to get to that spot right above my seat. So I don't have to pay. And what you find is before you know it, you can kind of get sucked in like, well, my luggage has got to fit. And you kind of start eyeing people in their luggage. Well, that's way too big. They shouldn't have even been able to bring that on the plane. Or you're looking at your own luggage like, uh-oh, I need to squish that part down. You start kind of wearing the layers of, the, of your clothes and putting three jackets on and things like that. But I was on this plane and we ran out of space and people are walking back with their carry-on luggage. And the flight attendant said, for those of you who are sitting behind the emergency exit and you know, beyond, there's no more space. You're going to have to turn around and put your bags towards the front of the plane and they'll be checked. What happened next was kind of this just surreal experience. You have this whole line of people and then a group of people in front of them are turning around to come back this way and no one moves. And I'm sitting down because I was group one. It was amazing. And I just see this line of people and no one's moving. And they're trying to like push their bags and they're like literally this close to another face. And it's like no one's giving. And so the flight attendant's like, you, you have to go to the front of the plane. And just people just. Like, does she mean like the front? Like we have to move? Like we can't put our bag in the upper deck here? And then finally, another flight attendant from the front says, please step to the side if you don't have a bag so people can get by. And there was a pause. And nothing is moving. And we're trying to leave here. And, you know, when you're in your seat, you come, come on, people, don't you know we're flying out? You've got to be on time. And everyone's kind of all fired up. And then finally, people step to the side and people are like climbing over each other. And finally, we, we get the bags. But everyone's looking out for themselves. Then at the end of the flight, this was like, honestly, I, I couldn't believe it unless I saw it with my own eyes. There was this woman who had a carry-on bag uh, up above her and she was trying to get it down and she was... She was struggling. And so this man that was sitting next to me got up to help her. And he went like right behind her, helped the bag. And I guess she didn't hear him say he was going to help. And all of a sudden she felt cramped. Like I was right behind her. And, what, what are you doing? Leave me alone. And all of a sudden real, on the plane, it's just this tense scene. Whoa, you're kind of like smiling and freaked out at the same time. What's your problem? She says. And the guy literally was trying to help her. And so it's like kind of a wrestling match without them each realizing they're doing it. And so he's trying to move, but they're kind of stuck between the aisle. And I have a front row seat and I'm just seeing this. I'm like, this is crazy. She needs help. She doesn't want help. He's trying to help, but she doesn't want it. And then finally, he just he kind of gets past her and just walks out. Like with his head. Yeah, it was very sad. Just walks out. And I thought, like, that's life a lot. It's this sense of we all have, like, our goals that we want, and people kind of get in the way of them. 
And in different parts of our life, it can feel like the inside of an airplane. It's just this tight space where people are trying to get what they want and I'm trying to get what I want. And it seems like it doesn't work together and you're stuck in the aisle. And you can't make progress. They can't make progress. And everyone is just upset. And that's what it's like in our friendships. Kind of you have an agenda with somebody. They have an agenda with you. And there's different expectations and there's a lot of tension. In family life, the same thing. Expectations exist. Or you hope somebody would do something a certain way and they don't. And there's a tension. At work, you have coworkers that are kind of just looking for themselves. And you're, you have something that you're trying to work on. And it seems like no one's working together. And there's a tension. And so you see this in life again and again. Relationships that are meant to function a certain way end up being like two puzzle pieces that, that are not compatible. They just don't fit. You try to shove them together, but it doesn't work. And that's what life can feel like. The actual same is true with church life. If we're not careful, if we don't commit to loving each other in a certain way, we can be a bunch of individuals that are really just trying to do what we want and to get what we want. You may ask, well, how is that? Isn't the church supposed to be different? The answer is yes. But I don't know about you. I keep getting in the way of what God wants for me. And I'm sure you keep getting in the way of what he wants for you. And it's kind of stemmed by three things that are inside all of us. And it's called a sad strategy. The sad stands for selfishness, arrogance, and damage. When it comes down to it, we all have this sad approach to life. There's selfishness in us, which is, I want my way. And my way is the most important. And if you don't kind of think that, what happens when somebody kind of merges on a freeway and they get in your spot? Are you just like, wow, that was so awesome. Come in. Join us. No, it's like, what? You, you know, you've got to accelerate just so they know it. you had the right of way. Same in the grocery store. All different aspects. It's just there's, there's, we have what we want. When people kind of get in way of that, it, it makes us mad. Then arrogance is not just we kind of have what we want. We think our way is the best way. We tend to think arrogance is a lot of times like, wow, I'm the best and kind of this proud. And it is that. But there's also a sense in just in the kind of day to day relationships where my way is best. And I may not say that out loud, but my frustration and the way I respond. It's an arrogant approach. Because not only do I want what I want, but you're not doing it the way that I think you should do it. And that causes tension. And the last thing that we all have is this idea of damage. Like when somebody blocks what we want and when somebody's doing things in the way that we don't want them to do it, and it's impacting us, and it's maybe impacting those that we're relating to, there's a part in which is, you know what, I, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to mess with you. But if you get in my way, I'm not going to like that. I'm going to make you pay. And most of us aren't walking out and thinking of like the physical altercations that we're going to have to damage people. But we do make people pay a lot of times. We resent them. We get angry. We give people the cold shoulder. These are all parts of how we try to damage people. They didn't do it our way. And we're going to make them pay. We're going to create some distance. And what you find is it's any group of people, as long as humans are involved, this selfishness, arrogance and damage is there. That's what sin is. And that's why we need Jesus Christ. He came to show us that despite our sin and despite the fact that we go our own way and we do have selfishness and we do have arrogance and we do have this sense of 
wanting to damage or hurt people when they don't do it our way. There's a new kind of life that we can have if we follow him. And there's still struggles and there's still the pull of sin. But over time, as we walk with him and as we learn from him and we read the scriptures and we soak it up, there's a sense in which our strategy changes. We realize people aren't just tools that we're trying to use to get what we want. And that's the hope of the church is a group of people that can gather in the name of Jesus Christ and actually be different than any other group that exists. And that's the power of following Jesus Christ. He can make us into a group like no other. Not just nice people. Not just help. With the love of Jesus. That's what he wants. And so I want to spend the rest of the time looking at what are the practical ways that we do that. And so God wants us to be a community with a mission. And what you find is, is love is what fuels it. Love is what fuels our mission. And I want to read a passage of scripture that kind of puts love in the appropriate context. This is kind of the practical way of what love looks like. And then I'm going to spend the time after that kind of unpacking practically what that means we should do. So I want to read this scripture that kind of bottom lines it. This is why love is important. This is found in first Peter chapter four. It says this above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. This passage kind of has the sense of there's this love that exists and at the same time, it's really for the glory of God himself. That we, when we love each other, we're actually being the community and doing the things that actually make Jesus happy. There's a sense in which we are aligned with him. And it begins this idea of, above all, love each other. And it's not a feeling. You guys remember kind of maybe that first Valentine's you ever got from like somebody in elementary school or kind of that sense of that first romantic movie. And there's just this ooey gooey love fest. Anybody? I remember the first Valentine's card I got, I believe, was in fourth grade. The girl's name was Lucy Clark, and I was in England. And she got me, like, the biggest Valentine's card ever. And at the time, I, I you know, I didn't know what to think. I, you know, it was kind of my first, you know, relationship, first Valentine's. And she gave this to me in this card, and, and I was like, oh, thanks. And it was, here you go. And then we didn't talk to each other for, like, six months. But that was like true love at that time, you know, elementary love. It's just kind of you say you like each other, but you don't talk. And it's just really weird. Anyone. Right. We all have that kind of that ooey gooey love kind of feeling this idea. But this love is, is different. This love is a kind of love that's not feeling oriented, but actually action oriented. It means that because we love each other, we do certain things. We say certain things. We think certain things. That kind of love it compasses and impacts all of us, every part of us. 
And what you find in the scriptures, this idea of it covers a multitude of sins. There's a kind of sense in which when you love each other, despite the fact that we mess up and we do things that can hurt people, again, out of our selfishness, there's a sense in which when you love each other, you, you do cut each other slack. And that song we just sang, Your Grace is Enough, there's a sense in which we love, any, love each other. God gives us the ability to bring God's grace into our relationship. I don't know about you, but there's a sense in which covering the multitude of sins and God's grace, it's kind of this refreshing idea that's very appealing to me. There's a sense in which we cut each other slack. And that's the best kind of relationship, despite the fact that we do things that could hurt or are selfish. God's love can cover that. It allows us to be gracious because we are fueled by the love of God himself. So we see kind of the bigger picture. And there's a sense in which love extends us to actually relate to people in a certain way. And it mentions we show hospitality. Individualism and hospitality don't usually exist. So I have my space, whether it's at work, I have my space at my house in my neighborhood. I have my space on the freeway. Everything is my space. And don't invade my space because it's my space. Remember my space? It's like, remember that thing? But it's true. We kind of have this just this little circle, this little bubble, my space. I'm an individual. But hospitality is saying, you know what? This isn't my space. This is our space. And I'd like you to come into it. In fact, I'm going to invite you into it and I'm going to treat you a certain way. I'm going to show love to you. I'm going to show that I care. Have you ever kind of been engaged with somebody like you're relating to them? Not engaged like marriage, but you're relating to them and they're hospitable and they think about things and they invite you into their house and they're like, would you like coffee and a dessert? And you get the sense like, wow, I'm thinking about like maybe I'm thirsty, maybe I'm hungry. And there's a sense in which you felt cared for. Well, that's a practical extension of love. And what you find again and again in the scriptures is love is really defined by one anothering. It's things that we do to one another. And these are some of them. Love allows us to treat each other, one another in a certain way. And that's from being hospitable to serving. And all these are really definitions of what it means to love. There's a sense in which we don't just have my own life with my own space and we stiff arm people. Jesus came to show us that we have our world and our world exists to invite others into it. And to point to the one who we live for, Jesus. And as a church, we have this opportunity to love and to treat each other in a certain way that actually draws people in. This kind of love and community, it's the antithesis to individualism. It really is commitments that you make where I'm going to love you and you're going to love me. I'm going to show kindness to you and you're going to show kindness to me. To me. On a plane... That doesn't exist. There's no commitment to each other. The commitment is, you better not get in my way. Because I need to get that front spot on the top, right above my seat. So there's just there's this competition. But in church life, that shouldn't be the way we're defined. In fact, the scriptures kind of paint this picture. of There's a sense in which as we're going about our life, we should always be considering others. I don't know about you, but I don't usually think that when I wake up. 
It's usually kind of what's on my plate, things that I got to do. I'm not usually thinking in terms of how am I loving the people. From my kids to my wife, to those that I work with, to those that I relate to, I'm, I'm usually not thinking that. But when you dig into the scriptures, you see that there's a different type of love. This is a different type of relationship. And this kind of love is more appealing and attractive than anything else we could fabricate ourselves. In fact, it's like the best marketing you could have. There's a sense in which when we love each other with the love that Jesus has given us, it actually shows that God is real. So when we relate, when we're sitting here and when we're out there, when we're in kid zone and as we're serving and as we're doing different things, when we're in groups together, all the different facets in which we rub shoulders with each other, we're showing that, that God is real. And we can actually live for something past ourselves, just my own individual life. So I want to spend the rest of the time talking about how we have translated this love into seven statements as a church. We call these the hard attitudes. And you may have heard of these, and I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on them, but I want to give you a sense of if love is really important to us, loving God and loving others, what does that look like? If it's not a feeling and it's an action, then what does it mean that I will do? And I just want to walk through that. These seven statements are really a summary of all the times in the New Testament. And there's like about 30 times where we're commanded to do things to one another. So these seven statements kind of summarize what those things are. And so there's a bookmark in your uh, program. And on that has the hard attitudes listed and has the scripture that apply to each one. And so you have that. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the scriptures of each hard attitude because you have that as a reference. And I encourage you, take the time to read those. Take the time to actually you know, put it in your Bible and look at those scriptures. Because those scriptures define... These commitments that we want to make as a church. And if you're new to Church in the Valley and you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, we don't walk around saying, hey, that was a hard attitude violation. 15 push-ups. We don't do that. But we want to let you know this is really what we're aiming for. And it's not perfection. In fact, we miss the mark a lot. We miss it as a church. We miss it in our families. We, we miss it in our lives. But this is, with God's help, what we want to aim towards. This is the kind of community that we want to be. And so as we go through these, I want you to think, okay, well, why did that help? Why would that help us accomplish the mission? Why would this be something that we're supposed to do as Christ followers? And again, if you're not a Christ follower, get a sense of how, how would this make a difference in your own life? And would this be the kind of group that you would want to be a part of? Yes or no? And how come? So all these things I want you to kind of think through as I'm going through them. So it starts with what we call hard attitude number one, which is putting the goals and interests of others above our own. That really is the most practical definition of love. It doesn't mean I discard my goals and interests because we all need to be headed somewhere. We all have responsibilities. We all have to be responsible for our life. But what it means is in the midst of what I'm doing, I recognize that I actually need to put those aside and put others in front of myself. That's what love is. It's a sacrifice. It's kindness. So hard attitude number one practically really means that 
I am going to put your interests above mine no, no matter the cost. I'm going to look for the things that are important to you. I'm going to look for your own goals. And that could be very different. At work, there's certain goals that people have and there's certain goals you have. But there's a sense which you can love people by saying, you know what, can I help you? I know you have a lot going on and you have a deadline. Can I help you? That is one of the hardest questions because you know what sometimes people answer? Yes. Wait, what? What? And then you have to, in that time, okay, that's right. I need to put their interests in front of mine. And you have to trust God. Through all these, you have to trust God that he's not going to rip you off, that you will get taken care of. But again, hard attitude number one isn't just that I always put your interests and goals above mine, but that you do it and I do it. Mutual reciprocity. There's a sense in which we do together. Hard attitude number two is live an honest, open life before others. You'll see there Ephesians 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Got to live an open and honest life. We take off the masks. Who we are on the inside matches who we are on the outside. We've got to put off falsehood. It's like don't play games with people. Don't, you know, try to be somebody that you're not. Don't appear that you're somewhere where you're not. It's being real. Now, it means you're appropriate. You don't just gush and you just let people, I'm an open door, here I am. But you, you work to not play games. And as I'm open and honest with you, you're open and honest with me. And practically, this means I'm, I'm known by a group of people who care about me and I know and care about them. It's not just open and honesty for open and honesty's sake. It's open and honest so actually care can exist. Because you can't care for people if you don't really know who they are and what they're going through, right? You can't. So it's hard to just saying, you know what? I'm actually going to let people know me and I'm going to work to get to know them. Hard attitude number three, give and receive scriptural correction. This is the idea of, you know, we all can get off track and we all have patterns of the way that we relate and things that we do that actually are causing harm to our life. They're causing harm to our relationships. Now, no, each of us have a different history of people that we've related to. Each of us kind of have different backgrounds. Sometimes the thought of correction just is not set right. I know it doesn't with me. Sometimes it's just uncomfortable like, oh, no, let's just act like everything is okay. There's a tendency we all have to do that. But correction is really, that is love. Because you love people enough that you want to help them. If there's something that they're doing and it's a pattern that's damaging them, you want to help them see it. And love is also allowing people to point that out to you. We all have blind spots. Things that we don't see. And I know for me, when people have pointed something out, like, you know, you, you've done this and I love you and I care for you, but this is really hurting you. And when people have done that to me, there's a sense in which after you kind of overcome that first sting, like, <laughs> why are they picking on me? You kind of just kind of, I don't like that they said that. As you kind of overcome that sting, you find that 
They really are trying to help you. Just like a blind spot on the freeway avoids you hitting another car. And wrecking, that's what correction is, allows you to see things so you don't wreck. Correction can prevent us from wrecking relationships, our reputation, the track record that God wants to build through us. And so, practically, this means that I'm going to speak the truth to others and I allow people to speak the truth to me. And it's like 90% you want to encourage and love and 10% you want to correct. Depending on your personality, you may feel like you're the hammer and everyone's the nail. Nobody likes to be hammered. Nobody. Our kids don't. Co-workers don't, spouses don't, friends don't, roommates don't, professors don't, classmates don't. Nobody likes to be the nail underneath the weight of a hammer. And so what 90% encouragement and love does is it allows us to realize like we really want to help this person. And when somebody does it to us, we want to recognize they're really doing this to love me. But you've got to commit to that. As you do over time, you find it really can help your life. Now, hard attitude number four, I love because it kind of follows hard attitude. To number three, which is clear up relationships. I think there's a sense in which whenever there's correction, you always need to have relationships that can be cleared up. There's this idea of like when, when I mess up, I clean up. That's what clearing up relationships is. Many times in a group of people, we do things that bother others. Would you agree with that? Have you ever done anything that's bothered somebody that you're relating to? And you actually really love and care of them, but you didn't know it bothers them. And then before you know it, there's kind of this like dissonance in a relationship. You ever felt that? I'm using the word feelings, guys, and I realize you're like, what? I haven't felt a thing before in a relationship. I came back from Texas. I don't know where that came from, but that was like a Texas accent. But there's a sense in which, you know, depending on if you're a feeler or a thinker or not, but you, you can see that there's some there's dissonance in relationships where that person seemed kind of short. avoiding me, or I'm short with them, or I am avoiding them. And there's a sense in which we do things all the time in our relationships that hurt people, again, because of sin. And clearing up relationships is, is recognizing, you know what, I said that to you, and it was harsh. Will you forgive me for that? Or I said that to you, and, and, and I actually lied to you. I didn't want you to know, and so I lied. Will you forgive me for lying to you? There's a sense in which clearing up relationship is let's deal with what is actually going on. Let's not allow wrongdoings and hurt to build and to kind of bitterness and anger and frustration to kind of just begin boiling within us. Let's actually take the time, if we can't let it go, take the time to make it right. When I mess up, I clean up. And when you mess up, you clean up. Again, I do and you do. When you do that, You actually know where people stand. And there's a sense in which there's no clog in the relationship. Love froze freely. That's what happens when you clear things up. And so practically, I I bear with others, and they bear with me, and we forgive, and we get forgiveness. All of our relationships are going to get messed up. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. But clearing up relationships is kind of the New Testament definition of love in the sense of we... We're going to go out of our way to make sure that we're dealing with things that need to be dealt with. We don't just let it cast aside like hoping somebody's going to get over it. We actually deal with what is. And man, relationships are so much better when you do that. 
The next three are related to kind of how we commit as a group to the church itself. And hierarchy number five is to participate in the ministry. There's a sense in which I don't just come to get. I come to give. And you don't come just to get, you come to give. Sense of which we all make this happen. It's not this person or this group, it's us. And as a community, we each have a role to play. I don't know kind of your family dynamic when you were growing up, but I, I had chores that I had to do. And I had two older sisters and they had chores that they had to do. And every day we had the different chores that we had to do. And that was related to meal time and cleaning time and trash day and all that stuff. And we all had that to do. And if we didn't do our chores, it would impact the other people that were trying to do their chores. And if we all didn't do it and we kind of revolted, then it didn't go well. Mom and dad didn't like that because we weren't able to function as a family. And there's a sense in which in church life, we all have chores as well. Some chores are in front of people. Some chores are behind the scenes. But we each have a role to play. Participating in the ministry is like, I don't just want to consume. I want to help produce. I serve, you serve. It's related to the church. It's related to the relationships. Participating in the ministry is also when, when people come that are new to church in the valley and you know it because they're walking around like, where am I supposed to go? Part of how you can participate, you say, are you here for church in the valley? Yeah, well, you go this way and you actually walk them. That's you participating. Isn't that so easy? But I don't know about you. I have kind of all the things I got to do. Okay, I got to talk to this person. I got to go do this. And I did. That's my Sunday morning brain. But the bottom line, participating in the ministry is it's about people. How can I help people? I do it. You do it. We do it together. People get us this sample of God's grace. Harder to number six, support the work financially. Practically, I give to the church. Um, I give to others' needs, and I accept help from others as well. Did you know ministry costs money? It does. Ministry costs money. And it also costs people time, resources. It doesn't happen for free. And again, it's kind of connected to participating. But giving is saying, okay, I, I want to be a part of this community and I want to help it go. And there's a key way I can do that, and that's put my money into this thing to keep it going. Now at church, you know, there's a sense of like, oh, the money talk. But just like anything, you give to what's important to you and your family. We all do. But supporting the work financially is saying, you know what? I'm not just going to approach this that they give, but again, we give. So you see this, this kind of, again, this individual that you have to move past, this individualism. From me to we. From them to us. That's love. We all have a part that we can play. And it makes such a difference. And it's also people's needs. If you see that somebody needs something and you can help with that, you can support the work by giving to them. And that in itself is the love of God at work. We all have needs. Some are greater than others. 
But as a church, we take responsibility. I do and you do. We do together. And then hard attitude number seven, follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. There's a sense in which, okay, ministry costs money, but also ministry can't happen without it being directed and led in a certain way. And so every organization and every group needs to know where it's headed. And it takes leaders. Have you ever been a part of a leaderless group? It doesn't really exist. I've been a part of groups that had leaders and it felt leaderless. And it didn't really help us. And this idea of following leadership, essentially which, you know, God works through the authority of people. From the government to the church to family life, there's a sense in which someone's leading. And the role I take in loving is to follow that leader. And the leader's role in loving the people they're leading is I'm going to lead these people, specifically in the church, towards the mission that God has given us. And I'm going to lead these people out of love. That's our role. But every leader needs followers. Every followers need leaders. And so practically, I'm going to follow leadership as leaders guide and lead towards the mission. Hebrews 13, 17 there is written in a way that it's saying you want to actually follow in a way that it's a joy for your leader. Where they actually appreciate leading you. They're encouraged by leading. I don't know about you, but my approach growing up to like leadership was not like, how can I make it a joy? But it, again, was how can I still do what I want to do? I had a situation when I was in elementary school, same school where I got the giant Valentine's Day card. This was later in my life. It was fifth grade. And I had a teacher that was teasing me. And he, this teacher had like known our family for years. He was uh, my sister, my oldest sister, six years older than me. He taught her. And so we had this like family history. He was the soccer coach and his name was Mr. Butler. Really liked the guy. And he was kind of teasing me. And he was just messing with me and saying, well, you probably do this. And I... And I just was kind of like, no. And we were just going back and forth. And all of a sudden, I was like, shut up. And he, he just looked at me and said, what, son? And then right then, I was like, oh, my goodness. I just told my teacher to shut up. He just says, what, son? <laughs> like, does he want me to answer that? Like, do I say it again? And all of a sudden, I realized that I had forgotten my place. He was my leader. There's a sense in which I had to respect him. And from that moment on, I realized I always have to make sure that I am relating to leadership and authority in a way that's actually recognizing the position that they have. It's one of respect. He was a, he was a really good man and he didn't hold it against me. It was just kind of one of those times where he says, what, son? And that was enough. And it was like, don't ever say that again. It was like, I will never say that again. But again and again, I had times like that where I just forgot my place. And a leader shouldn't be the one to put you in your place. It's something that you take it. It always goes better, right? It always goes better when we take our place opposed to being put in our place. So leaders have to lead. Followers have to follow. 
And as we do that together, we actually can accomplish the mission. And love can actually be realized. So all of those, all those hard attitudes, these are the things that I would say make such a difference in Church in the Valley. These are the things that we really want to work towards. And if you've been kind of exploring us as a church, those right there, those seven statements, we want you to experience that. If you've been a part of Church in the Valley for a long time, we want you together, we want to work at this with one another. We want this to be a place where love is actually experienced and it's realized. And it makes such a difference. Because what you find is when we love each other this way and if we actually do these seven things and we are this community with a mission, you find that it actually points to Jesus. It points people to Jesus. And you see that in John thirteen thirty five. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You want people to know that Jesus is real and God is real? It's through love. It's not through what we say. It's through what we do. It's how we treat each other. And so I want to just encourage you, as you are living your life in the different relationships that you have, there's a sense in which we just need to reflect, okay, how can I move past the individualism which is so ingrained in me? And some of the selfishness and some of the arrogance and some of the damage. How can I actually move past that? And to answer that, you, you can't do it by yourself. You can't be a better person just by thinking better thoughts. You're a better person. And your life is different through a relationship with Jesus. And so for me, there's a point in which I can't ever just try to do this life on my own. I need his help. So I want to encourage you, as, as you kind of pull in a church in the valley, you have a role to play to help people and to love people. And sometimes that's going to be in the doing, and sometimes that's going to be in the receiving. But if you were to look around at each other in this room, God has a plan for our church. And it's to love. And I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm excited to see what God can do as we do this together. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you for giving us an answer to just living for ourselves, And we do thank you for the opportunity to move beyond the pull of selfishness and arrogance and damage. And God, we, we need your help. It's so easy to just think about me and what I want. And I know for all of us it's a struggle. Help us in the midst of this to realize how important people are and how we can play a role in loving them practically. And God, to do this, we need your love. We need your strength. So God, help us to get time with you, to draw from you as we extend that to others. In the name of Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you, Alex. Well, we really hope that this has been a help to you. Uh, in a moment, we're going to be receiving our offering. So go ahead and take this time to finish filling out any information on the connection card that you weren't able to finish before. And then when the offering comes around, everyone can just go ahead and drop that connection card in the offering bucket. Each week, we try to encourage everyone here to uh, think through a next step that they can take. And essentially what that is, is just a practical application of something that you can take from what you learned today and apply it to your, to your life this week. 
Um, if you look on the back of your connection card, we have some suggested next steps for you, or if there's something that stood out to you, um, something else that you think would be really helpful, you can go ahead and just fill that in as well. So here's our suggested next steps. First of all, you could memorize 1 Peter 4.8 and really just try to get the scripture into your life through memorizing it. You could also, if one of the hard attitudes that Alex was, Pastor Alex was sharing with us really stood out to you, you can ask God to really help you grow in that specific hard attitude. And also, as Pastor Alex shared, one of the things, one of the missions of CIV is to really love people. And so one of the things that we do is we really want to reach out, invest, and invite people. So you could, if there's someone that you know of that you could invite to CIV this coming week, that could also be an application for you. Right now, the band is going to go ahead and play as we receive our offering. And we also just want to leave up these next steps and just use some time to really reflect about what we learned and how we can bring it into our, our lives this week.